0: Next on the OHIO Podcast, Nick Delanitis joins the wild man and Buckeye Boggs to talk about Ohio State's newest commitment from five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. They tackle the questions, is Ohio State the new QBU, and why quarterbacks are so successful in Ryan Day's offense. They also rank Ryan Day's top five wins as head coach, and Eric interviews listener Larry Daniels, and that all starts right Now.
2: Proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan on the football field. Three things number one the team that hits the hardest and the longest the team that starts the fastest and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes if you take it to them if you don't make mistakes and you keep taking it to them hell there's no question who wins
3: It's time for the best Buckeye podcast,
4: by fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO podcast. Oh,
0: OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO podcast, everybody. I am Buckeye Boggs, and I am uh, joined today by the wild man, Chris Wilds. How was Tiffin, Ohio, this weekend, my man?
1: Oh, Eric, it was just beautiful in Tiffin this weekend. Uh, you know, took uh, took a lot of the Ohio State stuff out, had some of the autographs out there. Uh, you know, we uh, took out all that pro stuff we had. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty good time there at the flea market. I'll tell you, have you ever been there? I have not. It is well worth the, the trip. I mean, it really is. There was actually about uh, six to seven different sports vendors there. Uh, in addition to all the other, you know, vendors doing antiques, doing... Uh, records, movies, you know, jewelry, whatever, just anything you could possibly imagine. There were food trucks like you wouldn't believe out there, uh, you know, and just a really great atmosphere. I, 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 if you're into flea markets, I highly recommend it.
0: Very good. Uh, yeah, I've checked that out next year. And uh, we are also joined by Nick Delonitis. Nick, I know you've had an interesting week this week
3: yeah it's been a great week actually uh started a new job as you know eric um and uh loving every second of it
0: yeah nick has joined uh mastermind where i work and the sponsor of uh ohio podcast so uh yeah it's been nice uh getting to work with nick uh this week and getting to do a little training and uh Looking forward to uh, doing doing that some more of that this week. So all right, guys, let's jump right into the show. If you're not satisfied with pickup games <laughs> and unranked matches, Chances are you're aiming higher than most. At Spire, you'll train to be the best. Whether you're drawn to the pool, track, mat, basketball court, or gaming controller, we provide the training you need to achieve your dream. Make our facilities your home or take advantage of free transportation services. You are ready to unlock your potential. Visit SpireCleveland.com today. That's Spire, S-P-I-R-E. All right, guys. Sometimes we are like Nostradamus on this program. Last week, Chris and I were talking about some of the possible recruits that you need to know. And lo and behold, the number one guy from the class of 2024 from outside of the state of Ohio, Dylan Rayola, committed this week. He is a top notch quarterback. And quite frankly, we need to spend a good majority of this show diving into what is, in my opinion, one of the most impressive highlight films I've ever seen and it's from a sophomore who will be a junior this upcoming season. This cat is going to be a big deal for the 2024 recruiting class and beyond. Chris, I'm going to start with you. What did you see from Dylan Rayola, and what can you tell me about him?
1: Well, Eric, wow. I mean, that's all I can really say is wow. To, to quote a former president, this huge kid's arm is huge. I mean <laughs> – <laughs> Just a cannon. Uh, so rayola is a six foot three, two hundred twenty five pound quarterback out of Chandler High School in Chandler, Arizona. Of course, you mentioned it. Currently ranked as the eighth player in the nation according to the two four seven Sports Composite, he's third among quarterbacks, the top prospect in Arizona. Eric, this kid right now looks the part. I mean, he is got a big time college build already. I mean, he's a physically imposing guy when he steps on the field. Well proportioned, very, very strong lower body, which of course he uses to get that, that drive and that zip on the ball. Very athletic has shiftiness and can move the pocket really well. Great footwork Uh, really stand, but he really stands in and delivers under pressure. He's not afraid to take a hit. Uh, He has got a quick, really smooth release with the ball. And, he can deliver his arm from a multitude of angles, actually kind of reminiscent of the way Pat Mahomes does. Uh, you know, he can just drop it down a little bit, zing it in there, and he doesn't lose any velocity when he does it. Uh, you know, had great, great touch on the deep ball, I'm sure. And you mentioned the highlight film, Eric. Did you once recall seeing a receiver have to adjust or come back at all? Not on him. Did I,
0: I did see that there were some receivers. He stopped too early and then had to dive, but that was on the receiver. Yeah, that was not on the quarterback. If they would have just kept running. He, They would have ran right under the ball. So, yeah, I, it's, it's uncanny.
1: Uh, has great, I think, field vision and appears to really read defenses uh, very well. And I would say an advanced level for his age and experience. Uh, great athleticism, as I said, tremendous frame. Seems to have a pretty keen mind. Excellent mechanics for someone his age as well. Eric, I, I'm not I mean, maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm just seeing more than is actually there, but I truly believe after his sophomore season, this kid could step onto the Ohio State team today and compete for the number two job. That's how good he is as a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just I was amazed when I saw the film.
0: Uh, Nick, I'm going to get your thoughts first, and then I'm going to dive into a whole bunch of things and ask you guys some questions about this. So what do you what you got for me?
3: Well, we from what we know of him as a sophomore. OK, he's an incredible talent. He's talentedly gifted. Right. He, like just God given talent to play football quarterback. He can do it all. He actually recently transferred to Chandler High School in Phoenix, um, which my for my understanding, what I've done research on is out in Arizona. That's like St. Aquinas, where the Boses came from out there, mm. you know. So this was actually when he got his Ohio State offer before he decided he was transferring to Chandler. He got his Ohio, from my understanding, he received his offer and then decided he was going to transfer to Chandler to get more polished and more ready to step onto campus his freshman year. So he's going to have two years at a St. Aquinas type high school from, you know, out of Florida that the the Boses went to, but like that caliber out there in Arizona. Gotcha. Okay, um, I I was
0: a little confused yeah. what you were where where you're going with that one. It's that
3: gotcha. caliber. It's, it's gotcha. Chandler gotcha. High School is that is it, you know when you think of like the Florida high schools or even here let, let's put it locally here in Ohio right mm-hmm. you look at your um Cleveland Saint Ignatius your Canton right. McKinleys your Cincinnati Elders um your Bowler Saint, yeah. Saint X uh, combine those and that's what Saint Aquinas is down in Florida this is what Chandler High School is. Out in Arizona, um, Gotcha. you know, um, the school Friday, the show Friday Night Lights that, that was based out of that high school in Alabama, Hoover. Remember that show mm-hmm. from way back when Yep. this is like that type of a high school and out in Phoenix, guys. So he made a conscious decision to say, I'm talented, gifted, and I can play at this at a power five school, not only a power five school. But I could play for the best of them, right? And I want right. to play at Ohio State. He made this conscious decision that I'm going to go now and I'm transferring to this school where I'm going to get two years of the most important time in my high school career of prep for that. And to me, beyond talent, that tells me how intelligent this kid is. Yeah. To uh, Just
0: did a quick search, Nick, and to, to back up what you're saying, Chandler High School – is the seventh is the seventh highest ranked high school for most NFL draft picks, right? So the the talent there if, is immense.
3: And if I'm not mistaken, I was watching I was watching his um highlight reel, but it wasn't really highlights. It was his workout at Chandler, and their coaches have six out of seven ain't bad on it, which means they've won the last six out of seven state championships. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, you go on their website, and they've got championship rings across the top of their website. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's a different level, so uh, that's for sure. So good point. All right, so here's my breakdown of his sophomore highlight film, and you're right, Nick. They also have a a workout film on there as well if you go to the 247 site. But I went ahead and spent the 17 minutes uh, gawking at his highlights from one season. Yes, 17 minutes of highlights of just touchdown pass after touchdown pass after – I mean literally the kid can make any throw on the field.
3: So Eric, what, remember when we were talking the other day? He's, he can When you say he can make any throw on the field, mm-hmm. it's like a Patrick Mahomes, man. He can yeah, he, sling it with any angle.
0: Yeah, he's got different arm angles, especially when they do those little uh, swing passes. Uh, he, he will, he'll, fump, he'll pump fake get the defensive end in the air and then do this little sidearm, uh, sidearm pass underneath of him. So he's got, he's got some different level, different mechanics he's worked on that uh, shows you that he's, uh, he's well-adversed in the game. Uh, so here's my notes on what I saw in that uh, highlight, uh, highlight film. He has incredible arm strength. He knows how to be patient in the pocket. Sees the entire field and can throw a receiver open. Now, what I mean by that is the receiver looks covered and he will throw to where the seat receiver should be so that if the receiver is running his route and the timing is correct, then the receiver should catch that football. Um, basically it's the opposite of what JT Barrett would do. JT Barrett would always wait until a receiver is open before he would pull the trigger. This kid is not afraid to pull the trigger and make sure hey, I'm going to throw it to this spot at this time. It's your job as a receiver to run and get underneath of it. So I like that. I like that kind of, that kind of um, field vision and awareness that he has in timing. Uh, he has pinpoint accuracy both in the pocket and on the move. Has next-level pocket awareness for his age. I don't know how many times he would spin out of trouble and, and make something out of nothing. Oh, look with it and keeping his eyes downfield as well. He draws. And here's something else for you. This is some next level stuff, Chris. How many of those times did you see where he was drawing opponents off sides? Oh, yeah. he he oh, obviously yeah. he obviously. he
1: Like I said, he has a very keen mind for someone his age. He has he, he just has a level that he is at mentally in the game. That he should not be at at this point.
0: Now, his father is Dominic Riola, who was the center for the Detroit Lions for 14 seasons. Obviously, daddy has taught him some tools of the trade and things he learned uh, when he was uh, playing in the NFL. So obviously, that's probably where that's coming from. Um, I say he must have a higher level cadence than your typical quarterback in order to do that as, as many times as we were saying. Um, I also like that there's some backyard dog in him, and what I mean by that is when the play breaks down, you, you, he, he's he got some magic there, man. He literally can get out of the pocket, break the play down, and kind of do the whole motion of receiver open or the receiver kind of breaks off, and it's kind of backyard football kind of stuff. I love that kind of thing, man, and that's where those different arm angles that Nick was talking about can come into uh, account there. Uh, he has good hands. I, several times I saw bad snaps where he was picking the ball up off of the turf. And then on top of that, he looked just as comfortable under center as he did in the shotgun. So he was doing both of those, which I know Ryan Day wants his quarterbacks to be able to go under center at times. Now, I do have a couple negatives that I want to point out. Chris, you said he's got good mechanics. There's one thing about that mechanic he's got to change. He's holding the ball pretty low. Uh, You know, they, they want you to hold the ball almost up under your chin. He's got it down by the by the numbers a little bit there. And so when he goes into his motion to throw, it elongates that 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 backward motion of the football back into the cocker ready position in order to then release and throw forward. That split second in college makes a world of a difference. And, of course, in the NFL, big difference. Now, I have some I have some I guess insider insider baseball reasoning why he's doing this. He's also a catcher on the baseball team. I was a catcher. And as a catcher, you are you you almost always when you receive the the ball when a runner's stealing, you receive the pitch, you have to have that right hand or or in this case he's right-handed and I was right-handed. You have to have that right hand next to the glove so that when you receive the the pitch You transition the baseball from the glove to your hand and and you almost naturally kind of make a little circle motion in order to do that. And then to get the momentum, you need to throw the runner out as you throw to second, first or third or wherever you're throwing the ball. I think he's kind of has a little bit of that going on for him. And so those two those two um, mechanics or throwing motions are a little different. So I think that's something that Ryan Day can work with him. And it'll be interesting to me now that he is a big-time recruit going to a big-time college if he'll continue to play baseball. I say go for it. I want these kids to have the greatest experiences they can have while they're in high school. Why not? You know, But it'll be interesting to see if he's done with that. Um, and here's the other thing. He is not a dual-threat quarterback, guys. He is a pocket passer, which gives me the question, who does he remind you of? Chris, I'll start with you.
1: Well, I'll tell you, for me, I think at the pro level, he reminds me a lot of Roethlisberger. Even during his days at Miami, uh, I, big, physical, has the shiftiness to move the pocket. You know, he's capable of tucking the ball and getting you a chunk of yardage if you need it. Um, I, I, but as far as on Ohio State comparison, I, I would say a lot like Cardell Jones was. Mm, okay. Well, he's got
0: that. He's got Cardell's arm. It looks like. Yeah. Uh, I would say he's more accurate than Cardell was, though.
1: Seems- oh yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, he is, he is on the money. He he's and I think he sees the field a little better than what Cardell did as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Nick, do you have a comparison at all? I mean. There's, he's a hybrid of two individual of two previous quarterbacks that we had under Ryan Day, and it's Dwayne Haskins and Justin. He is like a hybrid between them. He's at, he's accurate like Justin Fields, built like Dwayne Haskins, and has an arm like Haskins. But we all know Justin had one heck of an arm as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So and he, he has the brain of Justin Fields to me. Like that's the way he sees a field like Justin Fields did.
0: So it's funny you you mentioned that. Are you guys ready for what I wrote down? Yeah. He has the arm. I'm sorry. He has the accuracy of Justin Fields. He has the field awareness and, and body build of Dwayne Haskins, and he has the arm of Cardale Jones. You guys danced all over what I saw as well, which means we all saw the same thing. We're seeing the same things. I like it. Um, son of the center, like I said, Dominic Raiola. Raiola was uh, born and raised and played his high school football in Hawaii, guys. Again, there is a Polynesian connection here. Now, obviously, Dylan is not playing his high school football in Hawaii, but his dad did. And so I'm sure that there's some, some of that Polynesian pride that's running through his veins. Chris, is there something going on at Ohio State with the Polynesian players here that we really should start talking about?
1: I don't know if it's something with Polynesian players per se, Eric, as, as much as it just is the, these guys that, that we are, require, are recruiting that have just coincidentally been the Polynesian players or have that Polynesian heritage. They're among the most gifted players in the country. Um, is is there something to the heritage part of it? I, I don't know. Uh you know, it, it's a big thing in professional wrestling. I don't know how much it is in in college football.
0: <laughs> right. Yep.
1: But but you know, uh, I I don't know. Maybe it is. maybe there is something to it. But to me, I just think it's the fact that it doesn't really matter who they are if they're among the best recruits in the country. We're going to go get them.
0: Right. Nick, you got any thoughts on the Polynesian pipeline that seems to be starting here for Ohio State?
3: <sighs> um, I just think it's more or less. You know, Ryan Day knows talent, he knows football, so I think when he sees a player that is just above and beyond um what you know, above above and beyond like the talent level of everybody else around him, especially, you know, for their age group and those recruiting classes, he just goes for it. And to that family is very important to them, you know and i think that we get these guys where like they would have gone to usc, ucla, they would have stayed in southern states, right? cuz that's where they typically stayed. We never really, you know, got these, you know, these guys out of the south to come up north, right? So, i think a part of that is is they're more willing to now explore ohio state knowing ryan day is there. Mm-hmm. And how big on his family he is. And when they hear him in a press conference, when every major sports network is reporting Ryan Day's link to the Bears, Ryan Day's link back to the Eagles, you know, there's and he comes out and says, guys, if I go to the NFL, I'm going alone because my family isn't coming with me and I'm not leaving my family. Right. But- you know, and I think that speaks volumes to those guys, because their parents, as we, as you and I talked to JT's mom that last summer, Mm -hmm. Eric, she said, you know, it this is a family and we love that.
0: Yeah. I, the, the brotherhood, the family atmosphere, I think speaks to, to the, the, you know, that, that culture. I I think you're absolutely right. Nick. Yes, Chris, go for it.
1: Uh, Eric, you just mentioned a great word there and, and it's culture. And one thing that I think Ryan day and his coaching staff has done is they have gone out of their way when recruiting these players to, I think, respect the culture and even embrace the culture in, in the re- recruiting process. I mean, if you look at when they went to, uh, I think it was JT, when they met him at the airport and they all had the the, the ladies on shirts, and all yeah, that. Yeah. You know, they were embracing the culture, trying to welcome him by embracing his culture. So... Again, I don't know if it's something that is is, can be culturally defined as something to do with the athlete. But I think that the approach that Ryan Day is taking and the inclusion that Day and his coaching staff shows, I think that does go a long way with these recruits.
0: Beautiful. All right. Let's move on a little bit and let's let's keep it in the quarterback room. Ryan Day gets all the credit, I think, personally, for the Justin Fields transfer and recruitment from Georgia. Ryan Day obviously gets all the credit for spotting the talent in C.J. Stroud and getting him on campus in his development. Of course, C.J. Stroud was a late bloomer. He was someone who was not really on anybody's radar until his senior year, between his junior and senior year when he went to the Elite 11 and blew up. Uh, and then had a great senior season, and now he's you know getting ready to have his second year as starter at Ohio State. You've got two five-star quarterbacks waiting in the wings for their opportunity in Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. And now we have this five, five-star in Dylan Rayola committed from the 2024 class. And by the way, you mentioned it, Chris, he's ranked eighth in the composite. 247 Sports has him number one overall in the entire class, as the number one guy in the entire class. So – um there's a chance that that number eight might be bumped up and move up even more we'll see but i gotta ask the question chris we'll start with you are we now qbu
1: eric i'm gonna say something that might be unpopular no and let me tell you why and let's start with a little bit of a history lesson here uh, we've had a really good run here in these recent years with quarterbacks Uh, And you mentioned the ones we had. I would also say that while Day didn't necessarily – wasn't the head coach who brought in Dwayne Haskins, I believe Day is responsible for Dwayne Haskins as well. Um, That being said, if you look back, I think part of being QBU, there's a couple things. I think it is accolades. I also think it's longevity. If you look over the last 20 years, you know, we had Krenzel, uh, you know, came in, won a national title, but really only completed 57 percent of the passes, 4,500 you know, yards in four seasons. Dwayne did that in one. Uh, you know, he was drafted by the Bears, but three and two in his pro career. So not, not nothing to write home about. Uh, you know, we had Zwick after Krenzel for a, a brief time and he was underwhelming. Troy Smith came in, won a Heisman, uh, you know, had an impressive two and a half years, 63 percent, uh, 5,720 yards, 20 tech or 54 touchdowns. Uh, you know, he, he did well. Um, like, uh, you know, Smith, like Krenzel, going the fifth round of the NFL draft. Uh, he only started eight games in four years though, and, and was very underwhelming. Uh, you know, we moved on to Beckman. He was kind of an afterthought. We had Terrell Pryor come in and, and, and Terrell. We, we all know that I have some disdain there for Terrell and how he left, but you know, he was great when he was here, uh, completed 61% of the passes, 6,177 yards, 500 or 57 touchdowns, another 2,100 plus on the ground. You know, he actually ended up being drafted to the Raiders third round supplemental, you know, so it's getting better. Um, we go through men we go through you know, Braxton Miller, who, obviously a tragic story of what if, you know, had he not suffered the injury. You know, we never know what he would have been as a quarterback, but he made his name as a receiver in the NFL. Uh, then we go to JT, your you're, you're hero, your idol, Eric. Don't even try. Uh, you know, statistically, one of the greatest quarterbacks in Ohio State history. All the numbers are his. That is true. But, but he had a long time to do it. Uh, you know, very solid collegiate career. Went undrafted. Um, of course, you know when Barrett went down, we had Cardale. 12 uh, gauge had one of the best three-game stretches in, in college football history. Uh, you know, brought us home a national title. Um, of course, through no fault of his own. Yeah, kind. Of, I, I, I don't. Well, I shouldn't say no fault of his own, but through little fault of his own, in my opinion. You know, he kind of. Lost the job back to JT because he struggled as a starter that following season. Then, then you get into what I call the Ryan Day years. Uh, Dwayne, of course, we lost Joe Burrow, who went on to have a prolific year after he lost out that QB battle to Dwayne. Um, in one season, Haskins had arguably the best season in Ohio State history in 2018 70% completion, 4,831 yards, 50 touchdowns. Uh, drafted in the first round um, which I think is something to me that that is a sign of QBU is when you're getting these number one draft picks Um, he went of course 15 to Washington sadly was never really able to you know establish himself and and tragically we'll never see what could have been this season Um, of course 1920 we had Justin Fields who all he did in a season and a half was post a 68.5% completion rated, 5,300 yards, 63 touchdowns. Good, you know, good use of his feet as well with 867 ground yards. Went on first-round draft pick again, number 11 to the Bears. Okay. Of course, that brings us to Stroud, Heisman finalist in his redshirt freshman season, first year as a starter. Run out there, nearly 72% completions. 4,435 yards, led us to a Rose Bowl victory over a scrappy Utah team. But I reiterate, OSU is not QBU yet, and this is why. You look at the teams that have held that distinction. In the 80s, you had Miami and Maryland, I think, were the primary two. Miami had Jim Kelly, Bernie Kosar, Vinny Testaverde, Steve Walsh. They go into the 90s with Ken Dorsey, Craig Erickson, Gino Toretta, you know, they had five national titles between 83 and 2001, and two Heisman winners. Marilyn, Boomer Esiason, Frank Reich, Neil O'Donnell, Scott Zola, all who had, you know, really good college careers and really nice NFL careers. The 90s and 2000s, I think, kind of belonged to USC a little bit. You had Leinert and Castle, Carson Palmer, Sanchez, Cody Kessler, Sam Darnold. Uh, during that stretch, two titles, two Heismans. But for me right now, Oklahoma is the current quarterback, you, although I think that's likely to change with the departure, departure of Lincoln Riley. Since 03, Oklahoma had four Heisman-winning quarterbacks. Jason White in 03, Sam Bradford in 08, Baker in 17, Kyler in 18. They also had a multi-time Heisman finalist in Jalen Hurts in 19. Now, some people will credit him to Alabama, but you know what? He was a Heisman finalist at Oklahoma as well. As of last season, Oklahoma had three of the NFL's starting quarterbacks to their credit. In this time frame, they've also had three number one overall picks. Bradford in 08, Baker in 17, Kyler in 18. So for me, until Ryan Day has these guys in the national titles, Heisman trophies, and going number one overall in the draft, I can't call Ohio State QBU. That being said, Eric, I believe this season, Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud have the potential to move the needle on that. And should they go out and do what it, we are capable of as a team this season, Ask me that question again after the national title game, and I think you'll get a different answer.
0: Fair enough, Nick. Is Ohio State becoming, or is the, the new QBU?
3: Um, I'm gonna say what Eli Apple, Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, Zeke, Mike Thomas, and everybody else the players said. It doesn't matter if you're DBU, QBU, wide receiver, you what. Running back you doesn't matter. All that matters is, is your are you NFL you? And Ohio State puts more players into the NFL than any other program in college football. So what I think when these players are looking at it, like especially, you know, Dylan, Devin Brown, CJ Stroud, um, Quinn Ewers we can't forget Quinn, even though he never technically played for us he was still a gunslinger that Ryan day recruited. Mm -hmm. These guys look at it and they go, well, I saw what Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins did in that offense. And they should have won Heisman trophies. Both. They should have won back to back Heisman trophies in 2018 and 2019. And then you look at that and you go, well, it's only going to evolve with, the new talent that comes in, the faster these athletes are gonna get, right? Especially with these kids, and now that they're all playing in, you know, all these high schools that just wouldn't state champions, it's basically like um, AAU basketball, but for football now. You know, that's what these high schools are becoming, and they just play each other. So half the time when they're getting recruited, they're also you know, their wide receiver is a guy they may have played with in high school, may not have been their number one, but he was still on the team. You know, and when you look at that, these athletes are just putting up so much numbers that I think they just look at Ohio State and Ryan Day's offense as a quarterback, wide receiver, or even a running back and say, I want to play in that offense. Like, I don't want to go to Alabama and play in this boring looking offense, right? Right. I want to go out there and show the NFL that I can run NFL routes. I can make NFL throws. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's what and I so I don't think it's I don't think we're QBU. I just think we're NFL That's fair, my thing.
0: Fair, fair enough, man. Um, we're becoming QBU guys. It's happening right before our eyes and. You're going to, you're, you're about to watch the third consecutive starting quarterback at Ohio State become a first-round draft pick next season, CJ Stroud, unless you know the unthinkable happens and an injury occurs, and that is something that has never occurred at Ohio State ever before, and it's only a matter of time until one of these guys gets to the NFL and, and and makes it big and becomes and becomes one of the top you know quarterbacks in the NFL. I think Justin Fields unfortunately is in a bad situation right now and hopefully he can either get out of Chicago and go to a situation that's going to be better for him or the Bears can can get their heads out of their butts and start to you know put talent around him and, and he can show them what he can do. However, you know, eventually one of these guys is going to strike gold, man and 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 finally, the team up north will not be able to shove that in our faces anymore because that's really the only argument they've got it seems like in the last you know twenty years against us um moving forward from that, you brought it up, and this is a good transition, Nick, that people want to come and play for Ryan Day and his offense now, I've been doing some some studying and some some research here on why quarterbacks are so successful in ryan day's offense and i've got some theories but i'd like to hear yours first chris would you like to try to tackle this question why are quarterbacks so successful in ryan day's offense
1: well honestly i think there's a couple reasons one day's offense is quarterback friendly the buckeyes have a great receiving core which coincidentally we saw the uptick in this quarterback room really happen i think with dwayne haskins Well, that was in 2018, and what else happened in 2018? I believe that was about the time Brian Hartline became the wide receivers coach. Uh, Ohio State typically features a tremendous offensive line, boasts a great running game, which takes pressure off quarterbacks. But, Eric, the main reason is he develops quarterbacks. He sees the talent, he sees the strength, and he cultivates the offense – to set the quarterbacks up for success. My biggest knock on Urban Myers is they squandered Cardale Jones talent trying to make him run JT Barrett's offense.
0: Amen. Thank you.
1: You know, Day doesn't do that. When he had Haskins, he developed a pocket passer offense. When he had Fields, he he developed him as a pocket passer, but utilized that natural athleticism and allowed him to improvise and use his mind and create. Uh was CJ. As much as we all griped about it, he treated him as a pocket passer. That's the offense that was built around him. Day knows how to develop the strengths and improve and and I think and sometimes disguise their weaknesses. That's why they succeed. You know, the fact is, well, along with that, you know, he is recruiting the top talent every year, which just you know. When he does develop that talent, which is already at such a high level, it just takes them from high level to elite. And other quarterbacks see that. Other quarterbacks see Dwayne Haskins going the first round. Other quarterbacks see Justin Fields going the first round. Other quarterbacks see C.J. Stroud being talked about before he's even eligible as going in the first round. And they want to come in and play for this guy. And that's why.
0: Nick, why are quarterbacks so successful in Ryan Day's offense?
3: Um, one, he was a quarterback coach in the NFL, um, so he knows how to prepare them you know, to get that. However, though, why they are so successful is because he puts them in situations where it's almost impossible for them to fail. And what I mean by that is the wide receiver, the routes, the receivers run.
0: There it is. There's
3: a a lot of mesh routes. Mm -hmm. There's a combination of deep to mid routes. There's also comeback routes that they run all with these mesh routes. Um, And what that does is it's, and if you, for those listeners out there for a quarterback, it takes You have on average in college three to four seconds that you're holding on to that ball, maybe five when you're playing the likes of like Toledo and all these guys, you know, the lesser opponents. So if you without mesh routes and these shorter routes and combination routes that Ryan Day influences with his wide receivers, it takes too long to go through your progressions, right? So by the time you get maybe to your third guy, you have that defensive lineman already on you, and now you have to scramble or you're getting sacked. You know, p- possible turnover happens, but with these short mesh routes, the combination routes and everything, you can hit your first two reads w- in right away. You already know where your first two reads are if those are open so that you can switch to your third and fourth and then your are checked out. And it's very friendly like that because it's it gets the ball out of the quarterback's hands and he doesn't have tough decisions to make.
0: You nailed it. Um, You're both right. But I, I what I was leaning towards was the schematics of the offense and you brought it up, Nick, is that there's there's receivers running at all three levels, the underneath throw, the mid throw and of course the deep throw. And based off of, of his knowledge of what defense he's going to face and an opponent, he's got these he's got these quarterbacks reading those defenses and knowing here's where I'm going to go with the ball if I see A, here's where I'm going to go with the ball if I see B, and and you know it's it's one of those things that it's just next level. It really is. It's next level. And so when you go to a game, if you ever go to a game live and you actually get to see, watch how many times they're going. You will see a receiver uh, within five yards and in 10 yards to 15 yards and one that goes over 20 yards on a route. If there's four receivers on the field, I guarantee you you will see at least one guy at all three levels. And what that what that does is it spreads the defense out and puts immense pressure on the backside of that defense. So, what I'm getting what I'm getting at is if you have an understanding of the route tree concept as a re, as a receiver and as a quarterback, and you can get on the same page, guys will be opened. Now. The the natural thing to do is if you're going to do that, to defend that, the natural thing to do defensively is to go to a zone, right? Defend an area, not try to defend a man. Well, the problem with doing that is that opens up the mesh routes underneath stuff. And and you, can, you really seriously can just sit there and just pick apart a defense if they're going to go in zone. And plus, it should technically open up your running game more as Eric. well, too.
3: And you know, what pro- you know what game proved that? They come from behind Penn State, Benjamin Victor, and K.J. Hill. All they did when Penn State dropped – when we beat them deep and they decided to go into a zone, all we did was run those two in mesh routes, and they, we yeah. drove right down the field. And screen routes
0: too. We and screens. We killed, we killed them on screens. Yeah. Yeah. So so what I'm getting at is, is Ryan Days always seems like he's always one step ahead, and as long as he and the quarterback can stay on the same page – you're going to be successful as a quarterback just based off a concept. Now, I also think Ryan Day, being a former quarterback and understanding um, offenses the way he does, can develop a, a quarterback like none other. And so I think that has has a lot to do with it as well. All right, so let's do something a little bit fun here, guys. That's enough quarterback talk. This is a quarterback-heavy show here. We're talking about Ryan Day, and so Ryan Day's been the coach since 2019. You know, you got – You've got the 2019 season, his first full season. you got the 2020 shortened season because of COVID. You've got last year's 2021 season. Plus, you have three games in 2018 where he filled in for a suspended Urban Meyer. During that time, Ryan Day has had some pretty good wins. So many, So much so that we thought, let's put together a top five wins in the Ryan Day era. Chris, I'll start with you. We'll go from number five and work our way down to number one. Ryan Day's fifth best win, in your opinion, is
1: one that didn't make your list, Eric. I went with the 2020 Big Ten championship game. Uh, you know, that was by far, I think, Justin Field's worst you know career game at Ohio State, and it forced Day to step out of his comfort zone a little bit, make some, you know, out-of-the-box adjustments that he taught, you know, maybe typically didn't do. And it led to one of the greatest rushing performances in Ohio state history and sent the Buckeyes back to the playoffs for the second time under day. So for me, that was number five,
3: Nick, number five for you, TCU 2018, the intern year, uh, Dallas. I, I that, that was a tough game for him to step into with the caliber that we were writing that year, mm-hmm. you know, with, uh Nick Bosa unfortunately gets injured in that game but like we were a top pick that year uh, overwhelmingly to make the playoff and contend for the title against Alabama
0: yeah that's my number five as well Nick the TCU win in 2018 40 to 28 score as you recall uh there are a couple things interesting about this game um I think that this game, in a lot of ways, is what won him the opportunity to become the head coach in twenty nineteen. This was a interview game for Gene Smith. Um, I think that this solidified him getting that position getting that opportunity in twenty nineteen to go down to Dallas, Texas, and win that game. Unfortunately, this was Nick Bosa's last game as a buckeye, as you guys recall, was injured in that contest in that contest, unfortunately. and also it was it was also. Uh, Dwayne Haskins uh, a big first big win as well as the starting quarterback now he did have the the big win against the uh, team up north when he came in for an injured JT Barrett the previous season but um, something to think about now as we recall the life of Dwayne Haskins uh, that that was a big win for him number four Chris for you uh,
1: number four for me was uh, 2019 Wisconsin the 34 21 win A big win, clinched the Big Ten title in day's first uh, conference title, first undefeated regular season, and first playoff berth. Number four, Nick.
3: I have to go with the Big Ten Championship against Wisconsin in 2019 as well. And that game, I felt, was the one that Justin Fields first felt the adversity and knew what he had to do in the second half and came out and Ryan day and him were just clicking on all cylinders in that second half. And it was beautiful to watch Uh
0: same year, different contest for me. Number four for me is the team up North game in 2019, a 56 to 27 drumming of that team up North. As you recall, a lot of those fans up there were saying that this was going to be a, a new, d- a new day for them since Urban Meyer was no longer there, and they found out that, uh, in my opinion, Ryan Day's the man, and that the last two previous seasons had more to do with him as offensive coordinator than it did as Urban Meyer as head coach, because that game looked a lot like it did the previous season. Um, So that's number four for me. On to the top three. Chris, I I bet you have that game there. Do you?
1: I actually do have that game at number three. Uh, For many of the same reasons that you laid out there. I mean, and it brought the close to, uh, you know, an undefeated, well, undefeated pre-championship season. And, uh, you know, really kind of put them on the path to that first uh, playoff berth under day.
3: Number three, Nick. I have to go with last year's Rose Bowl. Um, That was just an exciting game to watch. Um, but what I, why I consider that just a big win for Ryan day, uh, most people will say, yeah, but you know, it's not the playoff, um, and all this stuff, but, and you know, these bowl games don't matter anymore. Cause like Chris Olave sat out, you know, you know, would we have done better if Olave and Garrett Wilson were there and people didn't sit out? Sure. Um, but what it showed me was that it doesn't matter who we have on that field, um, like you know, like Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, we have just as equal talent sitting there waiting for their shot. And they showed out. And I think that's all on Ryan Day and his preparation. So that was a big win. Um, close game for him.
0: number three for me. when well, you guys mentioned the 2019 Big Ten championship game against Whiskey, the game. And, and, and to bring up something a little bit different than what you guys said, the turning point in that game for me was of the fourth down. When he went for it on the fake punt and as, as Aaron Brown so eloquently said the following Sunday, Ryan day needed a, a wheelbarrow for his nuts on that one. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Wisconsin number.
1: three. Aaron is quite the poet, isn't
0: he? He is quite the poet. And uh, by the way, we'll just take a little, a uh, little time out from our list here and wish him and his wife, Heather, good luck any day. Now she'll be having baby number three. Oh, so Aaron is back back the back at Fort Hood and we're thankful for that um, after the long stay away uh, from wherever he was at the undisclosed location training. Uh, He is back home and they will be having baby number three very soon. And so we probably won't hear for Aaron until the end of summer as he readjusts. But everything is good for all those who are asking.
3: Congratulations, buddy.
0: Number
1: two, Chris.
3: Uh, For me, number two was the
1: 48-45 win over Utah in last year's Rose Bowl. I think this was Ryan Day's, possibly his best coaching job. As Nick mentioned, we had a lot of guys who set out. And let's not forget, we're coming off a demoralizing loss at that team up north. Uh, You know, we started out that game a little bit flat, not looking the greatest. But fight back from the rough start. And, and they end up posting an impressive win against a very, very scrappy Utah team. Number two, Nick.
3: This game holds I, – I had to put this at number two. It's a 2019 Team Up North game um, because to me it was like one of the games I fell in love with Justin Fields as our quarterback. When he took the hit on his knee, went to the tent, comes back out with a brace on and throws an absolute dart. Garrett Wilson to the back of the end zone for the touchdown. I that game just to me is just special altogether, and it was one of I love any time we could beat the team up north.
0: Number two for me is last year's Rose Bowl game, uh the 2022 Rose Bowl from the 2021 season. Um, you know, and here's the other thing. I agree with you, Chris. This might have been one of his greatest coaching performance. He did this without Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Nicholas petit Frere, Haskell Garrett. Is there anybody else I'm missing? I feel like there's one other guy that didn't play, but it was more so for injury than it was uh, because he was sitting out. But those four starters, at least, were, were not playing. They didn't play, and he still won that football game. And in my opinion, and, and, and had to do so with a lame duck defensive coaching staff, as we learned a few weeks after that. Number one, Chris, I think it's probably going to be number one for all of us.
1: Well, it was the day that Brian Day slayed the beast. 49-28 over Clemson in 2020. He gave Clemson the biggest thumping they've had since Woody popped that kid in the head. Yeah.
3: Nick, number one? Same. However, there's two moments in that game that I loved. It was the one after, obviously, Justin Fields took the hit, comes back in and throws the dart to Chris Olave, right? Just the yeah. guts. Another another moment where you just, as a Buckeye fan, you're just like, God, I love this kid. You know? And then it's an underlying moment, but it was so perfect. If you remember from the year before when we lost to him, Chris Olave makes the cut to the outside, instead of continuing on the end route, the ball yep. gets intercepted. Right, he he continued on that end route, and there was the ball in the Clemson defender just falling right behind him as he's high stepping into the end zone. We beat up We put the exclamation point on the play that they beat us on la- on the year before. And to me, like Aaron said, Ryan Day had a weird barrel is nuts after that because that was amazing all right
0: number one obviously clemson getting that monkey off your back no longer a curse in ohio state and the only question is is now can he slay the other big dragon that being alabama and the sec
1: real quick yes yeah and, and nick mentioned a couple of his favorite moments but i don't know if it was yours but i think you actually have perhaps a picture of it the, my favorite moment was watching Jonathan Cooper standing over top of the defeated Trevor Lawrence.
0: Yes. I also like that one play. I have a picture of it, too, where Tommy Togiai is celebrating a sack, I think it is, on Trevor. Yeah. And if, if if I'm not mistaken, that might have been the play where Trevor fumbled and uh, we recovered. And so that was pretty much the nail in the coffin. Um So there you have it. There's our top five Ryan Day wins. Of course, we asked you, the listeners, on our Facebook page what you all thought. And, of course, we gave you six options. We gave those five that uh, I mentioned that were in my list as well as the 2019 win over Penn State, 28-17. That was also a a big game for um, Justin Fields, as I recall. In third with two votes, the Rose Bowl game from last year, getting three votes in third place is the 2019 uh rivalry game against that team up north and overwhelmingly 84 votes not even close the win over clemson from 2020 is his biggest or greatest win so there you have it you all three of us agree with all 84 who voted and that poll as well. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, I've got an interview with Larry Daniels Sr. He's going to join me. Listener Larry's going to join me, and we're going to talk about his fandom and a little bit about him. So hang tight, everybody. The OHIO Podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. And welcome back to the OHIO podcast, everybody. And I'm now joined by listener Larry Daniels, who uh, is actually from... The area that I grew up in, in Knox County, from the Mount Vernon, and uh, he mentioned Danville area as well, and I know we have uh, uh, some listeners uh, from that area, and so you all might know Larry. Um, Larry, how did you get in touch with listening to our podcast, may I ask?
2: Yeah, uh, first, Eric, it's a pleasure to be with you and uh, all the other folks out there listening. Yeah, what happened was uh, I am uh, uh, friends with... And go back, clear back to high school days with uh, Mr. Billy Bob of the Billy Bob Barbecue uh, podcast and uh, or pods and and uh, his uh, Facebook page. So uh, so he turned me on to you guys, and I started listening, and, and I'm hooked. That's basically sort <laughs> of it.
0: Well, we're glad you're hooked. We, we, we appreciate all of our listeners. As we say, we're just Buckeye fans, a fan driven podcast, uh, like all of you, and we appreciate you listening. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about your fandom with Ohio state. How far does it go back? How did it get started? And maybe some, uh, moments, uh, as being a Buckeye fan that you'd like to share with all of us.
2: Yeah. So that's great. appreciate it. So way back in, uh, 1976, I graduated from high school. And I and one of my classmates uh, attended Ohio State University through uh, 1976 and 1977. And we were huge, uh, well, huge fans as far as young guys go. We weren't into the stats and things, but we loved cheering for the Buckeyes. And of course, the fall we got there, fall of 76, Archie uh, Griffin had graduated. But Pete Johnson was still there for another year. So uh, uh, my friend and I had season tickets, uh, student tickets, and actually we were in the Block O uh, section of the stadium. So we were flashing the uh, color cards uh, for all the for all the different games at home, and, and we just had a great time. Uh, so that's how it all started, and I've followed them since then. And uh, it's it's developed on and on, and of course, you know, through all the different coaches and the success that the Buckeyes have had through the years, uh, it just really, really uh, reinforced my uh, hunger to pay attention. But I will admit, uh, football's my first love, and uh, the other sports I don't really follow very closely. So that's why I like uh, listening to you guys because you fill me in on all the things I miss. And, of course, your insights and and also your information, what you gather is just uh, nothing short of amazing. So.
0: Well, we appreciate that, Larry. So tell me, um, what are some memories you have being back on campus and watching the Buckeyes? You know, I, I never was a part of the Block O. I did attend Ohio State, but I was never part of that. And uh, I've always been envious of all you guys who uh, got to go to those games as students and things. But uh, um, I mean, I got to imagine that while you were a student, there's got to be some moments that stick in your mind that you'll never forget.
2: Yeah, well, you know, those days, of course, just was really crazy because, uh, you know, I know that uh, one of you guys or Billy Bob has spoken of it uh about how hard the turf was actually one of the cool things was uh during the week the stadium would be open and of course it was that real hard uh first uh first level of uh artificial turf that they had but we could actually go out and me and several of my friends down there we'd go out and throw a ball kick it around down there we'd be out there in the center of the field just living it up and uh, I don't know if they even do that anymore. But we had a blast. Now, uh, clearly, that wasn't a game memory. But uh, I don't know that uh, some of the games I saw, I, you know, I don't even know uh, that I got clear recollection of the whole game. But just... <laughs> okay, out there, ain't I, Eric? Oh, that's great. <laughs> It was just a fun time of camaraderie. That's the best thing I can say. You know, everybody in the stadium, just being in the stadium. And, of course, that time, the uh, the open end of the shoe was uh, like uh, metal stands, you know, yeah. permanent structure they got now. So uh, just just oh my goodness, having all, I I don't know if it was 85,000 or whatever it was at that time, the attendance, it was just amazing because the roar of the crowd and just the vibrations of the stadium was amazing. And I, you know, I just remember all that more than anything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that the, you know, the camaraderie you had with the students at that time and the feelings that you would get. I mean, you know, I, I love one of the things I love about Going to the games is at the end of the game. The team always goes over to the student section and sings "Carmen Ohio" with the band and the students. Was that going on back when you guys were there too? I I really I in my memory I'm thinking no. Okay. I really
2: don't know for sure. And one other thing I thought was really cool is the day before the game, on Fridays, uh, Woody. They'd have a pep rally over at the Ohio Union, out in front of the Ohio Union, and all the students would go over there and just cheer and just really, really uh, try to get everybody fired up for a great game. I remember that.
0: Yeah. Now, what were, you, what, are, what are your thoughts on Woody Hayes as, as being someone who was there at college when he was head coach?
2: I I really believe that, uh, uh, you know, as as someone someone else had spoken of on one of your Podcast there you don't know what kind of mental mental state that he might have had the onset of dementia or something but uh, you don't know what it was at the end but he was just an amazing what he gave you know he was just an, an amazing motivator strategist you know winning all the national championships that he did you know he just brought so much to the game and and he was so excited out there and so excitable it was just amazing he he was as excited as all the rest of us and he'd been doing it for you know what 40 50 years at that point in time
0: you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I love going back and watching all those old clips and, and see him on the sideline. He'd get boy, he'd get upset and riled up. <laughs> you know, I, I love it myself. I mean, I'm kinda old school myself, so I enjoy watching all those things and and uh going back and seeing the old clips of Woody Hayes. But he just I think he was just a real guy. He was genuine, you know. He was what you see is what you got with him, but he did really care for his players and he cared for students and he cared for the university and and I think that came out and 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 you know that's true just by how people defend him you know all his players defend him you know I know he was hard on those guys but they defend him larry and, and that's something you just don't see in in today's football as much it seems like yeah I
2: think they they just really had a brotherhood I really you know, you want to call it family. He was basically, he was basically like a, you know, I'll I'll use the term foster father, but you know, he was like a father to a lot of those guys. And, uh, I'm going to tell you, there ain't, there ain't a one of them that wouldn't have ran through a brick wall for him. That's just the way he was. And I, I, you know, I'm sorry, his, um, I'm sorry, his tenure ended the way it did because it really, it really tarnished, uh, really ended up tarnishing his name a little bit and i think he deserved a lot better uh fortunately they got a lot of things you know that are still named for him out there because uh you know he really did put the university where where it is now he's the one that started all that
0: let's talk a little bit about you shall we larry now i know that you are a musician and maybe you can uh uh tell uh, the listeners a little bit about how you got into playing and singing and uh uh maybe where someone can uh can hear you sing possibly.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. It started off uh over twenty years ago now. I, I really got started later in life at uh getting into guitar. Now of course in school I was in the band and I actually played a trombone, but uh I was active in sports, uh, very active in sports at the time, so the music took away much of a back seat. But uh by the time I hit my early 40s, I just really wanted to um, have some excitement, a thrill, you know, kind of like when you're out there on the field, just a, an excitement or an adrenaline rush, I guess I'd say. So I started, uh, started dabbling in guitar, and uh, a, a older guy took me under his wing, and uh, we started to play together a couple times a week uh, till I learned more and more, and it just branched off from there. And finally, probably about six years ago, I started doing some open mics, uh, would attend those and play and sing, and uh, then probably it's been a year and a half ago, uh, maybe two years now, uh, I've done a few small events here and there, and uh, I really enjoy it. Now, uh, currently, uh, about once a month, I play at the uh, Mount Vernon Brewing Company, it's a uh, uh, seven North Main Street here in Mount Vernon, and I'm usually there from uh, usually six to eight, uh, and it usually ends up being a Friday. Uh, but I did play Cinco de Mayo there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I enjoy it very much, and. So far nobody's uh thrown any raw vegetables at me.
0: <laughs> Good deal. Good <laughs> deal. Yes, I have I you know, it's been a while since I've been back downtown Mount Vernon. My my family still lives there, so I go and visit them. But uh uh that 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 name, Mount Vernon Brewing Company, that seems seems new there. I don't know remember that one in downtown, but uh um yeah i saw where you were on facebook and you were playing over there and i thought oh my gosh if i ever get the chance to run out there i'm gonna i'd love to meet you and hear you play now what genre of music do you like to play and sing with, uh uh larry
2: well i i play uh, probably about uh, most of it's kind of like uh, old classic tunes classic rock tunes uh
0: gotcha yeah uh,
2: bob seger uh uh play a little bit of ccr and um uh, also uh did I say Tom Petty at all yet? Or,
0: Not um, yet, but that's a good one, my man. Petty,
2: <laughs> And then I got a little bit of country, uh, Morgan Wallen. Uh, I, I can't think of many of the others off the top of my head, but there's uh, several country tunes. A little Jimmy Buffett, wouldn't be right if I didn't have some Jimmy Buffett following me around out there.
0: That's right.
2: A little bit no. Eagles, play a little bit of Eagles tunes, you know. Uh, I consider them just to be a... Well, they were an amazing group of musicians, even though they didn't get along. They really, uh, really did do well uh, for themselves as a group.
0: What's your favorite song to play?
2: Well, actually, now that you ask that, it reminds me of another person, uh, uh, Van Morrison, too. But uh, Brown Eyed Girl probably is, is probably one of my
0: favorites. There you go. Now, now is is, uh, Mrs. Daniels brown-eyed. So, are you singing to her when uh, when you sing that song, my man? Honestly, she's got blue eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Can't change the lyrics, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Now my wife's name is Sarah. So, whenever that old song comes on, she always reminds me that they 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 used H and she is S A S A R A with no H. So, um, she goes, "That song's not for me." (laughs) Oh. (laughs) yeah yeah i
2: totally understand
0: that uh so do you always do uh do you just go solo or do you ever have anybody join you
2: well so far it's been a solo now i've I've spoken with a couple of people uh one of them actually plays bass uh bass guitar so we're we're going to try to do about uh 10 tunes together possibly next time i'm out there which is actually going to be, uh, I think it's going to be the uh, 10th tenth of June, maybe. I don't know. Whatever that Friday night is. I think it's the 10th. And uh, also, there was a, a young lady that played uh, when I was playing another location in Mount Vernon. She played keyboard and electric violin, and we did about 20 tunes together.
0: Oh, that's great.
2: It was pretty doggone amazing, yeah. That's well, cool. Texas Flexi was her name. Uh, I won't say her last name though, but anyway, yeah, we had a great time. Yeah.
0: When you get down to Florida, because I know you you shared with me that you're planning on eventually getting down there to Florida, uh, you're gonna have to go play and go live on Billy Bob's Backyard Barbecue. I I
2: really I really would like to do that. Yeah. So so in case Billy Bob's listening, I'm I'm counting on him to roll out the roll out the red carpet for me down there.
0: (laughs) That would be great. Put me me
2: in touch with the right people down there.
0: Yeah, I could just see you sitting there playing. You got the Gulf of Mexico behind you, you know, a nice breeze coming through, and and then you're busting out cheeseburger in paradise, you know what I mean?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. He he has uh, scoped out some very, very nice establishments down there, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah, old 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 Billy Bob, he knows what he's doing he he'll do it right, my man. So uh he's a great guy. All right, hey, listen. Uh do you have any questions for me before we uh, you know, end the in the interview here, Larry? Yeah, I I
2: do. Uh so you guys are so very like in depth. You study the stats. I mean, especially with the draft stuff you guys were doing, you know, uh, Ohio State's recruits and things that you've been doing lately so what got you into or what may, uh, motivated you into getting that far into it you know
0: that yeah so it. so I have been my so I, I guess it, for me Larry it goes all the way back to when I was uh, a a youngster and junior high, middle school. My cousin, my my second cousin, would be my mom's cousin. Was Ryan Miller, who played '94 through 90 or '93 through '96, and he was a linebacker on the Rose Bowl team in '96. And uh, so I got to go and and because he was on the team and and my mom was uh, his uh, his cousin, his family would get us tickets once or twice a year. We would get to sit on the 50 yard line with the family and I got to meet. All those Buckeyes who played back then behind the scenes, I got to go in the locker room and meet these guys, go out to dinner with these guys and their family. So I've I met the fickle family, the Vrabel family, uh, who was good friends with my cousin, Ryan Miller. I got to meet Orlando Pace and Eddie George and all these guys. And, of course, at the time, you know, I'm just I'm a sixth grader, you know, uh, sixth, seventh grader. And these guys are bigger than life, you know. And so I was hooked right then, and I've been hooked ever since. And so when i got when I became an adult and and I started to just i guess fall down the rabbit hole of being a fan, my fandom just grew more and more and more every year. And I said, you know what i i i I researched this stuff, I look it up, I follow the team so closely, you know I spend all this money <laughs> on being a fan. I might as well just share it with as many people as I can. And so that's really the the genesis of the podcast is I me and a couple other friends of mine got together and we said, you know what, we talk about Ohio State every week anyway. We might as well just record our conversations. And it just grew from there. And it's it's been It's been so wild to create this awesome community that we have uh, with with folks like yourself, Larry, who we've connected with. We've gone on live shows. We've been to to Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Pal, Ohio, and did did live shows with alumni clubs and got to meet so many people. And and the podcast grew from, you know, basically five listeners to. We've got over almost twenty-two thousand downloads now, and and it just continues to grow. And 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 we just want the family to grow. That's what this is to us is is a Buckeye family. And so that's kind of really where it, it all came from. And as far as just the information, we just look up as much information as we can from all the different media sites. And then, uh, so uh, you know, I, I got some I got some folks who are connected to the program, who I speak with, you know. But typically, I don't. I don't let the the cat out of the bag if I know some things, but I kind of hint at some things with some people. You know, sometimes on some shows I might give a few drop a few nuggets of hints of what might be happening down the road, but uh um for the most part we're just fans just like you and we just want to share that enthusiasm that we have for Ohio State with all of you. So, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. Absolutely.
2: I I just, you know, I really tip my hat to all you guys because uh what happens is is if I put my focus toward music, then I can't put anywhere near that much focus into something else. And if somebody else like yourself and the gang are all involved in this, then that gives me an appreciation and something to listen to that I would never be able to dig that deep into on my own. So thanks for all of you, all of you and all your guys there, Eric.
0: Well, you're you're welcome, Larry, and thank you for those kind words. We truly appreciate it. And we we want to thank you for listening and being a part of the Ohio podcast community. And so, if you're listening to this and you're like I said in the Mount Vernon area, look Larry Daniels Senior up and 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 when he's playing over at the Mount Vernon uh, Brewery there. Uh, uh, go check him out and support him. And uh, maybe if you yell out an O H, he'll I O you back. So, <laughs> and you'll know, hey, there's a there's a Buckeye connection there. So, as always, my friends, that's the show. Be kind to one another. I O someone's O H and sing Carmen Ohio with all your heart. And until next time, Larry. OH! IO go Bucks.
4: Oh, come let's sing Ohio's praise and songs through Alma while our hearts rebounding thrill and joy which death alone can still Summer's heat or winter's cold, the seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship, Oh Ohio. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early
0: so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.